Chapter Three of Book Ten of Les Miserables, Volume Four by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Robert Kuyper. Les Miserables, Volume Four by Victor Hugo, translated by Elizabeth Florence Hapgood. Book Ten, the fifth of June, eighteen thirty-two. Chapter Three, A Burial, An Occasion to be Born Again In the spring of 1832, although the cholera had been chilling all minds for the last three months, and had cast over their agitation an indescribable and gloomy pacification, Paris had already long been ripe for commotion. As we have said, the great city resembles a piece of artillery, when it is loaded, it suffices for a spark to fall, and the shot is discharged. In June 1832, the spark was the death of General Lamarque. Lamarque was a man of renown and of action. He had had in succession under the Empire and under the Restoration the sorts of bravery requisite for the two epochs, the bravery of the battlefield and the bravery of the tribune. He was as eloquent as he had been valiant. A sword was discernible in his speech. Like Foy, his predecessor, after upholding the command, he upheld liberty. He sat between the left and the extreme left, beloved of the people, because he accepted the chances of the future, beloved of the populace, because he had served the emperor well. He was, in company with Comte Girard and Rouet, one of Napoleon's marshals in Peto. The treaties of 1815 removed him as a personal offence. He hated Wellington with a downright hatred which pleased the multitude, and for seventeen years he majestically preserved the sadness of Waterloo, paying hardly any attention to intervening events. In his death agony at his last hour, he clasped to his breast a sword which had been presented to him by the officers of the Hundred Days. Napoleon had died uttering the word army, Lamarck uttering the word country. His death, which was expected, was dreaded by the people as a loss, and by the government as an occasion. This death was an affliction. Like everything that is bitter, affliction may turn to revolt. This is what took place. On the preceding evening, and on the morning of the 5th of June, the day appointed for Lamarck's burial, the Faubert Saint-Antoine, which the procession was to touch at, assumed a formidable aspect. This tumultuous network of streets was filled with rumors. They armed themselves as best they might. Joiners carried off doorweights of their establishments to break down doors. One of them had made himself a dagger of a stocking weaver's hook by breaking off the hook and sharpening the stump. Another, who was in a fever to attack, slept wholly dressed for three days. A carpenter named Lombier met a comrade who asked him, "'Whither are you going?' Eh? Well, I have no weapons. What, then? I'm going to my timber yard to get my compasses. What for? I don't know, said Lombier. 
a certain Jacqueline, an expeditious man, accosted some passing artisans. "'Come here, you!' He treated them to ten sous' worth of wine, and said, "'Have you work?' "'No.' "'Go to Fee-Pierre, between the Barrière Charonne and the Barrière Montreal, and you will find work.' At Fee-Pierre's they found cartridges and arms. Certain well-known leaders were going the rounds, that is to say running from one house to another to collect their men. At Barthelmy's near the Barrière de Trône, at Capelle's near the Petit Chapeau, the drinkers accosted each other with a grave air. They were heard to say, "'Have you your pistol?' "'Under my blouse. And you?' "'Under my shirt.' In the Rue Traversière, in front of the Bland Workshop, and in the yard of the Maison Brûlée, in front of toolmakers Berniers, groups whispered together. Among them was observed a certain Mavot, who never remained more than a week in one shop, as the masters always discharged him, because they were obliged to dispute with him every day. Mavot was killed the following day, at the barricade of the Rue Menilmontan. Pritot, who was destined to perish also in the struggle, and to the question, What is your object? he replied, Insurrection. Workmen assembled at the corner of the Rue de Bercy waited for a certain Le Marin, the revolutionary agent for the Faubourg Saint-Marceau. Watchwords were exchanged almost publicly. On the 5th of June, accordingly, a day of mingled rain and sun, General Lamarck's funeral procession traversed Paris with official military pomp, somewhat augmented through precaution. Two battalions with draped drums and reversed arms, ten thousand national guards with their swords at their sides, escorted the coffin. The hearse was drawn by young men. The officers of the Invalides came immediately behind it, bearing laurel branches. Then came an innumerable, strange, agitated multitude, the sectionaires of the Friends of the People, the Law School, the Medical School, refugees of all nationalities and Spanish, Italian, German, and Polish flags, tricolored horizontal banners, every possible sort of banner, children waving green boughs, stone-cutters and carpenters who were on strike at the moment, printers who were recognizable by their paper caps, marched two by two, three by three, uttering cries, nearly all of them brandishing sticks, some brandishing sabers, without order and yet with a single soul. Now a tumultuous rout, again a column. Squads chose themselves leaders. A man armed with a pair of pistols in full view seemed to pass the host in review, and the files separated before him. On the side alleys of the boulevards, in the branches of the trees, on balconies, in windows, on the roofs, swarmed the heads of men, women, and children. All eyes were filled with anxiety. An armed throng was passing, and a terrified throng looked on. The government on its side was taking observations. It observed with its hand on its sword. Four squadrons of carabineers could be seen at the Place Louis XV, in their saddles, with their trumpets at their head, cartridge boxes filled, and muskets loaded, all in readiness to march. In the Latin country and in the Jardin des Plantes, the municipal guard echeloned from street to street. At the Halle aux Vins, 
a squadron of dragoons, at the Greve half of the twelfth light infantry, the other half being at the Bastille, the sixth dragoons at the Celestines, and the courtyard of the Louvre full of artillery. The remainder of the troops were confined to their barracks, without reckoning the regiments of the environs of Paris. Power being uneasy, held suspended over the menacing multitude twenty-four thousand soldiers in the city, and thirty thousand in the banlieue. Divers reports were in circulation in the cortege. Legitimist tricks were hinted at. They spoke of the Duc de Reichstadt, whom God had marked out for death at that very moment, when the populace were designating him for the empire. One personage, whose name has remained unknown, announced that at a given hour two overseers, who had been won over, would throw open the doors of a factory of arms to the people. That which predominated on the uncovered brows of the majority of those present was enthusiasm mingled with dejection. Here and there also, in that multitude given over to such violent but noble emotions, there were visible genuine visages of criminals and ignoble mouths which said, Let us plunder. There are certain agitations which stir up the bottoms of marshes and make clouds of mud rise through the water, a phenomenon to which well-drilled policemen are no strangers. The procession proceeded with feverish slowness, from the house of the deceased by way of the boulevards as far as the Bastille. It rained from time to time. The rain mattered nothing to that throng. Many incidents, the coffin borne round the Vendôme column, stones thrown at the Duc de Fritz James, who was seen on a balcony with his hat on his head, the Gallic cock torn from a popular flag and dragged in the mire, a policeman, wounded with a blow from a sword at the Porte Saint-Martin, an officer of the Twelfth Light Infantry, saying aloud, I am a Republican, the Polytechnic School coming up unexpectedly against orders to remain at home, the shouts of, Long live the Polytechnique! Long live the Republic! marked the passage of the funeral train. At the Bastille, Long lines of curious and formidable people who descended from the Faubourg Saint-Antoine effected a junction with the procession, and a certain terrible seething began to agitate the throng. One man was heard to say to another, "'Do you see that fellow with a red beard? He's the one who will give the word when we are to fire.' It appears that this red beard was present at another riot, the Quinisette affair, entrusted with this same function." The hearse passed the Bastille, traversed the small bridge, and reached the esplanade of the bridge of Austerlitz. There it halted. The crowd, surveyed at that moment with a bird's-eye view, would have presented the aspect of a comet, whose head was on the esplanade, and whose tail spread out over the Quai Berdon, covered the Bastille, and was prolonged on the boulevard as far as the Porte Saint-Martin. A circle was traced around the hearst. The vast rout held its peace. Lafayette spoke and bade Lamarque farewell. This was a touching and august instant. All heads uncovered, all hearts beat high. All at once a man on horseback, clad in black, made his appearance in the middle of the group with a red flag, others say with a pike surmounted with a red liberty cap. 
Lafayette turned his head. Exelmans quitted the procession. This red flag raised a storm and disappeared in the midst of it. From the boulevard Bourdon to the bridge of Austerlitz, one of those clamors which resemble billows stirred the multitude. Two prodigious shouts went up. Lamarque to the Pantheon! Lafayette to the Town Hall! Some young men, amid the declamations of the throng, harnessed themselves and began to drag Lamarque in the hearse across the bridge of Austerlitz, and Lafayette in a hackneyed coach along the Quai Morlande. In the crowd which surrounded and cheered Lafayette, it was noticed that a German showed himself named Ludwig Schneider, who died a centenarian afterwards, who had also been in the war of 1776, and who had fought at Trenton under Washington and at Brandywine under Lafayette. In the meantime, the municipal cavalry on the left bank had been set in motion and came to bar the bridge. On the right bank, the dragoons emerged from the Celestine and deployed along the Quai Morlande. The men who were dragging Lafayette suddenly caught sight of them at the corner of the quay and shouted, The dragoons! The dragoons advanced at a walk, in silence, with their pistols in their holsters, their swords in their scabbards, their guns slung in their leather sockets, with an air of gloomy expectation. They halted two hundred paces from the little bridge. The carriage in which sat Lafayette advanced to them, their ranks opened and allowed it to pass, and then closed behind it. At that moment the dragoons and the crowd touched. The women fled in terror. What took place during that fatal minute? No one can say. It is the dark moment when two clouds come together. Some declare that a blast of trumpets sounding the charge was heard in the direction of the arsenal. Others that a blow from a dagger was given by a child to a dragoon. The fact is that three shots were suddenly discharged. The first killed Cholet, chief of the squadron. The second killed an old deaf woman who was in the act of closing her window. The third singed the shoulder of an officer. A woman screamed, They are beginning too soon! And all at once a squadron of dragoons which had remained in the barracks up to this time was seen to debouche at a gallop with barred swords, through the rue Bassompierre and the boulevard Bourdon, sweeping all before them. Then all is said. The tempest is loosed. Stones rain down. A fusillade breaks forth. Many precipitate themselves to the bottom of the bank, and pass the small arm of the Seine, now filled in, the timber-yard of the Ile Louvière, that vast citadel ready to hand, bristle with combatants. Stakes are torn up, pistol-shots fired, a barricade begun. The young men who are thrust back pass the Austerlitz bridge with the hearse at a run, and the municipal guard, the carabineers, rush up, the dragoons ply their swords, the crowd disperses in all directions, a rumor of war flies to all four quarters of Paris. Men shout, To arms! They run, tumble down, flee, resist. Wrath spreads abroad the riot as wind spreads a fire. End of Book Ten, Chapter Three.